0: Hello and welcome in everyone to Lapping the Field. I'm your host, Eric Beck. Got a whole lot of things to discuss here, news and notes and uh, racing goings on. It's real interesting every time I start to prepare for these episodes where I think I'm going to keep the time down maybe a little bit. And then as I as I keep reviewing and keep listening to things about uh, other people's analysis, it's like, oh, I want to talk about that. Oh, I should touch on this other thing. And then after a while, you just... Uh, you keep adding things on, and the episode keeps getting longer and longer. So let's see how how much stuff we can cover here in a, a semi-short amount of time. Uh, let's go ahead and start uh, right with that race weekend that we had this past week down there at the brand new and improved, uh, maybe, maybe not, Bristol Dirt Track. I think it's safe to say that the race worked insofar as uh, it was a pretty good show, and they announced that they're going to be doing it again next year. Laying down all that dirt again on the Bristol track. It's been interesting to hear them talk about uh, or Marcus Smith, who I think is the CEO of Speedway something or another, the group that owns a bunch of different tracks, including Bristol. He was talking about how much work it took to actually get the dirt laid down there in Bristol. Apparently, it took something like well over two months to get the dirt laid down. Start off with like five or six inches of sawdust to try and protect the concrete, not the asphalt like I said last week, but the concrete of the racing surface. So that now as they uh, as they start to clear this off here a couple weeks from now, their, uh, their six-week plan of clearing things off, it will hopefully not have damaged the track too much. And will hopefully for them be a little easier to clean the dirt off of the concrete racing surface. That said, in terms of the uh, in terms of the in terms of the race working this past week, there were some changes that they had to make that NASCAR had to make in order for the race to actually go off with with less hitches than maybe there would have been some different uh, different adjustments here. One of those had to do with the weather, weather making its impact, making its uh, the force of nature felt down there in Bristol this weekend. I will I will save the rant for weather in general for later in this episode with uh, some other news that came up this past week. But it is safe to say it is fair to say that the weather played a big role on the race weekend if you'll remember from our last podcast episode here on lapping the field we talked about how there was going to be a difference in the qualifying setup and that we would talk about the qualifying heat races that the cup series would be go through uh, in this episode that's not going to happen because there were no heat races thanks to all of those races being rained out saturday got rained out sunday got rained out it was very interesting to see see the schedule change as they were going along I don't remember for how much we talked about this last week, but there were a lot of Cup Series guys who were going to run in the Truck Series race before the Cup Series race to try and get a little bit of experience on the dirt and try and figure out what this track was going to be doing. That uh, The Truck Series race was initially planned for Saturday, which was going to be before the Sunday Cup race. Then when Saturday got washed out, it was going to happen where the Cup Series race was going to be first, and then the Truck Series race was going to happen on Sunday. Which would have completely defeated the purpose of trying to run in the Truck Series race to get some experience there. Now, as it turned out on uh, Sunday, the entire racetrack was a mud pit. There was a creek outside the uh, the racetrack that was flooding pretty dramatically. If you go back and watch the Fox Fox's Sunday coverage that they, uh, they decided to come on and just let people know that the race wasn't going to be happening on Sunday. So it ended up getting flipped back where the truck race ran before the Cup Series race on Monday. So those guys who were looking to run the Truck Series race to get some experience before the Cup race did end up having that happen for them. A little more on that later. Other changes that were made to the, the Cup Series race in particular... There was a lot a lot made and a lot uh, being noticed of the tire wear situation during the practices. This is one of the few races this season where we actually saw Cup Series practice or will see Cup Series practice, what with COVID protocols still pretty much being in effect in a lot of different places here this year. Uh, after seeing the amount of tire wear, what the dirt was doing to these tires, these new tires that Goodyear brought down specifically to run on the dirt, NASCAR decided to change up the stage format, and they also decided to introduce multiple competition cautions with concerns about how long the tires would be able to run. As it turns out, they were pretty, pretty darn close to guessing or estimating how long these tires would be able to last before completely tearing up themselves apart. Initially, the race was scheduled to be two 75-lap stages and then a 100-lap final stage. That ended up getting changed to two 100-lap stages to start the race and a 50-lap shootout stage, basically, to finish the race. With those competition cautions that I mentioned coming at 50 laps into the race, so splitting stage one, and then 150 laps into the race, splitting stage two. What also ended up happening with those tires is that NASCAR allowed for another set of tires for each race team that would then be able to be put on only at those competition cautions or if there was a blown tire situation and the per- permission was given by NASCAR to the team to allow for a tire change. As it turns out, there were some of those things that happened. <clears throat> Excuse me. There were some of those things that happened, but in large part, we saw throughout the race that those tires were able to last around 50 laps. And then, when all the cars came in, all the vehicles came in to get their tires changed. It turned out to be fact that those tires looked like they were about to be done after that 50-lap session. That includes, of course, the uh, the caution laps, some of those laps that where you're not running full speed and really wearing those tires out. This was, it was interesting to see the tire wear as the race went on in terms of how different it was. So after that first stage, you saw a lot of blistering on the tires. And that's basically where you just saw pieces of the tire coming apart, little like blisters basically, or sort of indents into the treads of the tires or into the spaces that weren't treaded on the tires. As the race wore on, you started to see just complete tire wear, of the tread basically basically being run flat. So instead of looking like a treaded tire like something you would that is resembles more what you see on a normal street car, something that you would be driving on the highway, it looked a lot more like your typical racing slick, which in NASCAR races, typically you're seeing a tire that is almost completely flat in order to allow for the car to go faster essentially. And in order to allow for the tire to not wear as quickly as if it were a treaded tire something like we may end up discussing at one of these road courses if they have to switch on from their rain tires to their normal racing tires sometime in the future but that is a discussion for another time as it turns out though we as we discussed here tire wear was a significant issue and the i think even though even though there were a lot of discussions about different rule changes that nascar made throughout the weekend. This is one I think that allowed for a better racing experience, especially for fans, especially so we weren't seeing just over and over cars blowing tires going into the wall, especially considering they were not having competitive pit stops. Now, what that means is that for this race in particular, NASCAR decided that there would not be competitive pit stops. Typically, on a normal race day at a quote unquote normal track, you see pit stops that happen in the middle of a race that that teams are trying to pull off as quickly as possible in order to get tires changed get the car fueled make any adjustments that they're trying to make and then get back out on the track as quickly as possible with this race nascar had already determined that stage breaks would be the only time typically except for those few exceptions where tires would be changed and they had decided to make them non-competitive so you would come in and you would go out in the same place if you did it in the allotted amount of time. That's another change from your typical competitive pit stop. You can come in and go out in a different position depending on where you get off pit road in line. So there was that change made by NASCAR. There was that those types of pit stops happening. And f- Basically, what that meant is you have more time to work on the car, and teams ended up not bringing their typical crews to come in and do those pit stops. Typically, you have people who are trained to do those pit stops as quickly as possible, and then you maybe have other team members who are behind the wall who are doing some more of the technical things that aren't happening actually to the car. In this case, it seems like there were a lot of teams who had those technical people, those engineers, engineers car chiefs things like that going over the wall to help service the car since it didn't need to be done as quickly and then being able to make some more adjustments and being able to maybe try some more technical things as everyone was in this same boat trying to figure out this track at the same time. Um, Other differences that happened I had some concerns about what these cars were going to do just with the way that the cup cars are not designed to be run on dirt And there were some changes that were made to the cars, some things that I didn't know going into the last episode that we recorded, but there was a video that got put out maybe by the NBC uh, Motorsports YouTube channel of Steve Letarte, who is a former crew chief, going over the cars and what some of the differences would be going into this race. If you'll remember from last week one of my concerns is how closely the cup cars run to the ground how low they are to the ground what ended up happening with these cars is that they adjusted them so that the cars ran higher off the ground than typical and they also removed the front splitter the front splitter is a piece of metal that runs on the front of the car right on the nose right at the bottom of the nose kind of right next to the ground in a, in a typical uh, uh, pavement race, a paved race, races that you're going to see typically in NASCAR, it's very essential. It's a piece of the aerodynamics. It allows for air not to get under the car. It does all these different things that you just don't need at a dirt track. And on top of that, a splitter at a dirt track is going to act way more like a plow than anything. And the one thing you don't want to be doing is plowing the dirt as you're trying to go as quickly as possible around the track. So cars, for the most part, I believe, ran without splitters, or if they did run with splitters to start the race, they did not finish the race with the splitter on the car. So that is, that is some of the issues. Another of the issues, let's, t- let's touch on this quickly. This was a track, a combination track and car issue. One of the issues we saw throughout the race, or as the race wore on, really, was this issue of the amount of dust that was being kicked up on this dirt track. And this was especially problematic as the cars were going into the sun as the sun was going down. Now, if you're just driving a normal car, you know how bad glare can be from a sun as as from the sun as you're driving sort of in a later evening sunset period, twilight period when you have when you integrate the dirt issue or the dust issue with dust flying up in the air, what you saw as Fox would go to their in-car cameras is that you c- not it's not like you like couldn't see, oh, I can't see. You could not see anything out of these cars. And what that ended up leading to is a lot of accidents on restarts as the dust was getting kicked up. Now, one way to combat this is that you have track maintenance that happened during the stage breaks where the track surface was being watered down to try and help sort of hamper that dust rising off the ground type of thing. Uh, Another issue with why there was so much dust apparently is because of the weight of these cars. These are heavier cars that are intended for different racing than what you see from a typical car that will run on a dirt track. So that was also a contributing factor to the dust uh, coming up off the track. So there were a lot of issues with that. One of the ways NASCAR chose to address this was with an in-race rule change, and that that was a rule change that happened on restarts. Typically in NASCAR, with with the way things have run for the past decade and a half, maybe you have double file restarts on every restart cars at the front are your first and whoever is at the front of the field at the start or during when a caution comes out, save for pit stops and all those things, whoever is at the front and then through the back of the field, you line up two by two rather than single file that changed with the dust situation that NASCAR was seeing at this race at Bristol and they went to those single file restarts partway through the race instead of having the double file restarts and having more of an issue with potential accidents especially with the visibility issues that the drivers were seeing there's been a lot there have been takes from former drivers from current drivers about their reactions to this I understand the reason that this happened. I think the I think the issue with switching to a single-file restart is not... That's not the base issue. The base issue was the track surface, and it is almost as though you had no choice but to switch to this in the middle of the race. There are also a lot of questions about is NASCAR allowed to change the rules in the middle of the race, and yes, they are. There is a rule that was... Uh, floated out there on Twitter that basically NASCAR is able to do anything during a race depending on what is going to be best for the competition during the race. So the bigger factor here, I don't think, is NASCAR changing that rule specifically. The bigger factor to me is the track condition and how you're running on a dirt track. Now, some of that, I understand this is the first time in over 50 years that you've run on a dirt track, and you're not running at a dirt specific track. You're running at a concrete track that has dirt on top of it. So there is that piece. The other piece of this and something that was mentioned throughout the time uh, leading up to this race is that you were running this race during the day and so there's more of a chance for the sun to just basically bake the ground and dry it out and pull moisture out of the dirt which would keep the dust down lower. So moving forward with this race being announced as coming back next season, there is not yet an understanding, excuse me, not yet an understanding of the date that this race will be run or whether this race will stay as an afternoon race. Part of the reason this was an afternoon afternoon race now is because this is typically the Bristol afternoon race. The Bristol night race doesn't typically happen until later in the summer. So will, will NASCAR change the, the time of this race to a night race so that that glare from the sun isn't an issue? So even if you have dust coming up, it's going to be a little easier to see. The other question in terms of scheduling is will this race get pushed later in the year? Since running a race during this time of year, you're more likely to see rain showers happening in that part of the country. And again, we will touch on weather further into the episode. It's just a thing I'm going to keep coming back to. Now, the racing itself, now that we're 17, 18 minutes into this episode, let's finally start to talk about the racing action. I, going into this race, I thought it was a great... A great thing, I guess, a great idea, a great chance for these dirt racing guys who are getting their first NASCAR starts in the Cup Series to come in and get a chance to run in the Cup Series. I think this is a throwback, not just to throwback to the Cup Series running on dirt, this is a throwback to a time period where you have more guys, more drivers, who have an ability to make a race during any given weekend. This is... This hasn't been a thing you've seen in the last 25 to 30 years in NASCAR, give or take, just in terms of you have so much more money in the sport now. It's so much harder. The barrier to entry is so much higher to actually get in and race in the Cup Series. So having something like this happen where it's a little different, where you have guys who are dirt track racers who can maybe come in and do something different that uh, a guy who doesn't have that sort of experience going into this race Maybe they have a better chance of doing better in those cars. It was an interesting thing coming into this for me. This is a thing I will say that we've seen on road courses. You see a lot of these, they call them road course ringers, guys who come in, the Boris seds of the world who come in and will run very specific races in order to try and do better than maybe someone else would be able to do. The thing that we saw from this the dirt race this past weekend, and a thing that we see on road courses all the time with these guys who come in as sort of specialists to the type of track, is that you really didn't see them having more of an impact than your typical Cup Series guys did. Now, in this race, you did see some guys at the front at the end of the race who aren't your typical guys who would run at the front, but for the most part throughout the day, you had your typical cup series leaders up towards the front of the pack and even though a lot of these guys didn't have dirt experience especially the guys who ran at the front for most of the race you still saw them excuse me again you still saw them figuring figuring out a way to get to the front to stay at the front and try and conquer the dirt track now there are a lot of other things we might have to skip over some of this i am i am very verbose when i have things i want to say One observation from the race. There were a bunch of crashes, but you saw longer green flag runs in the Cup Series race than you did in the Truck Series race. If I remember remember correctly during the Cup Series broadcast, they said that the longest green flag flag run in the Truck Series race was 13 laps. And right off the bat at the start of Stage 1, you saw a green flag run that was longer than that. So you didn't have... You didn't really have cautions as a major issue at the start when you started to see more caution issues was after a restart this sort of nascar nascar ism of cautions breed cautions so as everyone gets bunched back up then you have more of a chance for more cars to come into contact with one another and that's definitely what we saw happen the difference with short track racing as opposed to races on longer tracks is that there is less of an impact when your car gets damaged a little bit in terms of the aerodynamics. Because you're running slower, especially in this race on dirt, but because you're running slower and because the aerodynamics don't play as much of an impact, your car can take more of a beating, which Ryan Blaney's car definitely saw. If you have the chance, go take a a look at what Ryan Blaney's car looked like at the end of this race there was basically almost nothing on the left side of his car from the driver's side door back nothing there except the tire <laughs> so you he was able to find a way I think if I am remembering correctly and we'll see here in a minute to make his way into the top 10 even with that major damage to his car and that's not unique to him in this race there were a lot of other cars that finished fairly well even after sustaining damage. One of those cars which sustained damage, which was not able to continue the race, to complete the race, was the car of Eric Almirola. Eric Almirola is a guy that we have talked about coming out of Stuart Haas Racing. Now here, three episodes in, this is the third week we're going to talk about issues with Stuart Haas. Eric Almirola is not having a good year. I, I can't even try and, try and make this sound better as saying he hasn't been having a great year. He hasn't been having a good year. He has a good year. No pun intended. (laughs) Eric Almirola has four finishes of 30th or worse this season, and since we're only seven races in, that is concerning. Now, it is worth noting that a lot of these are not necessarily his fault. Almirola has been in the wrong place the wrong time in a bunch of these races and has crashed out of races, not necessarily because of something he has or hasn't done on the track. Now, I don't think... it's hard to say whether this would be an issue or not without Stuart Haas having speed issues that we've seen throughout this season and having finishing issues that we've seen throughout this season. I saw a stat recently this past week. I think... I haven't I haven't double-checked this, so I probably shouldn't even be saying it. But what the stat was is that the only Cup Series driver for Stuart Haas who has finished in the top 10 this season is Kevin Harvick. I think it's very possible. Uh, I'd have to go back and actually look over the past seven races to see where people finished but the point is this is the type of season that gets you released from your contract whether it is your fault or not not being able to finish races is a problem and not being able to have better finishes is a problem so i think at this point in the season it is something to consider the possibility of that Eric Almirola, if he continues to have this bad of this poor of results that we may be seeing him looking for a different ride in the in the coming years or at the end of this year it is definitely also the case and has been seen throughout the entirety of NASCAR that if you're not able to continue to perform at a high level you will be released from your contract so a different driver who has maybe less experience, but more upside come into these cars. We saw this with Hendrick. This was more of a retirement thing for Hendrick, but we saw this with Hendrick, young guys coming in. We've seen this with a couple of positions at Stuart Haas. We've seen this with the 20 car at Gibbs. We, we saw it with the 19 car at Gibbs when Suarez was let go in order to bring Martin Truex Jr. into the fold. So this is a very cutthroat sport when it comes to that issue. So it is a thing to monitor moving forward. How is Eric Almirola continuing to finish throughout this season? And is there a possibility Stuart Haas brings someone else in? Now, a person I want to touch on for their performance in this race, a guy we haven't talked about, I don't think, yet this season, but who has been doing pretty well so far, especially this past weekend, is Daniel Suarez. Suarez, coming into this, had no dirt experience his first experience racing on dirt was last tuesday six days before this race was run six or seven days depending on how you count it so he had like a week or less of dirt experience and he found a way to be at the front of the pack he finished fourth at the end of stage one second at the end of stage two and led a significant number of laps during stage two and then ultimately finished fourth in the race Right now, this team is a new team in NASCAR, the team that Daniel Suarez is running for. The team is called Trackhouse. This right now looks like the best functioning new team in the sport. Specifically, the comparison right now is to the 2311 car owned by Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin. That's the one that got way more press because it was Michael Jordan coming into the sport. The car that has had much better results has been this Trackhouse car. You've seen Suarez having some pretty good runs. I think he may have led a lap at the Daytona 500. Don't remember for sure. He definitely has had pretty good performances, pretty good finishes this season so far, and now running in the top five basically all day at the Bristol Dirt Race. So Suarez is a guy who has been one of those guys who's been released from different teams because he hasn't been performing as well as the team would have liked he was released from a ride at Gibbs he was released from a ride at Stuart Haas and that's how we ended up landing in this ride with Trackhouse. so moving forward it's going to be interesting to see I don't have any sort of a premonition or estimation as to what's going to happen continuing through this season but with past results to inform what may happen in the future, Suarez looks like he's doing pretty well and might have a pretty decent chance at having a really good season moving forward. So, with all of that said and done, I don't want to hash through, like I said, I don't want to hash through the race entirely. One other performance I'll touch on before we talk about results is uh, Martin Truex Jr., another guy who didn't have a ton of dirt experience going into this truex in the last two races so last week in atlanta and now this week at bristol ran lower series races in addition to his cup series run last week had a very dominant performance in the xfinity series led most of the day and ended up having an issue where he finished second but marched his way back from the back of the field to the front in order to finish second in that race and then he had an okay performance in atlanta this week he, once again, was dominant in the lower series race and ended up winning the truck series race. And then going into the cup race, he led the majority of the start of the race. I think he may have ended up leading the most laps in the race. And ultimately had a tire go down on the final restart and finish something like 19th. We'll discuss that with these standings or with the... Uh, The results that we had, but it's just a notable thing. And what it means with Truex winning this past week in the truck series, as I pull up these uh, results, is that, let me pull them up on my phone and talk as I'm doing it. Martin Truex Jr. was the 36th person in NASCAR history to have wins in the Cup Series, the Xfinity Series, and the Truck Series, now with his first win in the Truck Series. Notably, this also happened with Christopher Bell earlier earlier this season with his first win in the Cup Series, but Martin Truex Jr. gets his name added to the list. Now, if you see this list, I may be able to get this up on the screen for you, but if you look at the list of these 36 drivers, you're going to notice that a lot of the big names from the history of NASCAR aren't on this list, and that's because you're not going to see anyone who ran before 1996 and then didn't run after on this list because the truck series wasn't introduced into nascar until 1996 i believe if i remember correctly somewhere in the mid-90s i'm pretty sure it was 96 so you do have a bunch of different names there are some interesting names on this list though guys like uh, johnny benson jr who else is on this list jimmy spencer bobby hamilton senior ricky craven ken schrader and then you have young guys like the aforementioned, uh, Christopher Bell and guys like Justin Haley, who haven't even had a full-time run in the cup series yet, but did get a win in a rain shortened race at Daytona, uh, fairly recently, a couple years ago. So there are some interesting names on this list. Another guy, guy, we just talked about Eric Almirola is on this list so it is an interesting thing just a thing to note a thing that i found interesting learning about as the race was races were happening this past monday so looking at the results i'm not sure if we're gonna have time to put these up on the screen so i'll just go ahead and talk about them as i pull them up but joey logano was your winner logano took over at the end of the race and was able to get himself in position to win the uh the race especially it's uh It was interesting to see as the race wore on, his car became the dominant car. Denny Hamlin was, for the most part, was right there with him. But then as he was trying to figure out how to catch Logano, he started running on the high side of the track. He started running a part of the track where people were not having success. And so he saw himself moving further and further back until that final caution, which led to the green-white checkered finish. And I think everyone, including me, thought Denny Hamlin was going to put his bumper, his nose, right on Joey Logano's tail and bump him out of the way. Instead, what happened is Denny Hamlin went to the top of the track again to try and get around Joey Logano and did not have nearly as much speed as Logano had at the end of the race. Now, Hamlin came out and said that he is not a guy who races that way. I might have a direct quote there as well for what he said. But he said that he's not a guy who runs that way. Why did Hamlin show restraint? This is a quoting from The Athletic, but Hamlin said this to media. Because I think me, being Hamlin, I think me and Logano race differently, Hamlin responded when asked. I don't have that mentality. He doesn't have the mentality that is to be the guy to move a guy out of the way. He tried to race it cleaner than maybe someone else would. Now, as the article in The Athletic said, it's hard to fault Denny Hamlin when you have 44 wins in the Cup Series overall for your driving style. My point is that if it wasn't working for you already and you knew it earlier in the race and you were losing time, losing time, losing time, why is that going to be your strategy if you're trying to win the race? It doesn't make sense to me. Even if you're not a guy who's going to bump Logano to get him out of the way, which I would have no problem with even if you're not that type of a driver why would you do something that you already knew wasn't working how is it suddenly going to work it doesn't make sense it's not only the reason that he lost the race it's the reason he didn't finish in second he was passed by ricky stenhouse jr coming to the finish well on the last lap coming to the finish hopefully you understand what i mean (laughs) so that rant out of the way let's take a look here quickly at the race results Joey logano of course being your winner Ricky Stenhouse Jr. in second, Denny Hamlin third, Daniel Suarez, who we mentioned, in uh, fourth, and then uh, continuing through with these names like Stenhouse, who you don't typically see at the top of the at the top of the finishes anymore. Ryan Newman in fifth, William Byron sixth, Tyler Reddick seventh, Ryan Blaney eighth, Eric Jones, sort of quietly having a decentish year in his new ride with uh, Richard Petty. Uh, Jones finishing ninth, and then Chase Elliott, who we talked about last week, finishing tenth. The interesting thing I'm going to touch again on this the point standings things that we talked about last week in terms of finishing well in the, each stage and how that contributes to your your total your point total at the end of the race. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. finished second, but pulled significantly fewer points than the three drivers around him because he didn't finish as well throughout the stages. So you look at Logano at the top with 55. Stenhouse then only had 42 points to Denny Hamlin, who finished third, finishing with 50 points. Another guy who benefited greatly from the places he finished throughout the the stages was Martin Truex Jr., who we mentioned earlier had that flat tire and finished 19th. Truex still ended up finishing with 35 points, which is comparable to Ryan Blaney, who finished in, what is this, 8th or even better than Tyler Riddick with 32 in 7th place. So it pays dividends to do well early, and for Truex, who won stage 1 in the cup race, and who finished 4th in stage 2, it pays dividends to do that well, and then if you have something happen at the end of the race, at least you have built up some points earlier in order to contribute to your season total so take a look here at the standings again i don't know if we're going to get this up on the screen we may have to for some of the stuff we're going to talk about but uh let's take a look at the standings here once again now we are in our seventh race and we have seven different drivers who have won races seven races seven winners we are continuing the trend it is the fifth time in nascar history if i can count correctly Yes, the fifth different season in NASCAR Cup Series history in the modern era, which is defined as 1972 to present, that the first seven races have been won by seven different drivers. This has apparently happened in 2014, 2003, 2000, in which I believe there were 10 different race winners to start the season, and then 1991. So just an interesting tidbit. And the in- another interesting thing that I saw someone mention, I think it might have been Kyle Petty. You saw Joey Logano in his post-race interview saying that he was maybe he may have been just joking around about this, but he was sort of saying that he wanted to get a win more quickly, maybe with the number of different drivers who have won now with concerns about what's going to happen with this playoff picture. So. The reason this is important to touch on maybe part two of what we could say is our discussing the point standing system is that you, it used to be that if you won a race, you were entered into automatically into the playoffs, or at least that's the general idea. If you win a race, you make your way into the playoffs as it is now. If there are more than 16 drivers who win a race, this is why this is a talking point one of those drivers is not getting in the playoffs. The playoff picture is capped at 16 drivers. Not only is this an issue in terms of maybe you don't win a race and then you don't make the playoffs, with the way the playoff standings work when we get into the playoff picture, you are going to have less difference in terms of where guys are being rearranged once the playoffs start And how close are they going to be in the playoffs moving forward? So those things in particular we will talk about in a future episode. The thing I want to discuss right now about the points is that win scenario. So looking at these point standings, go ahead and take a look at this. There's an interesting thing I found out this past week, um, actually after the Atlanta race. I saw this from Bob Pockrass, who works for Fox Sports. Uh, I saw this on his Twitter account. If the driver who wins the regular season points standings does not have a win, that driver still makes the playoffs. He or she is automatically granted a spot in the playoffs. The reason this is important at this point in time is because Denny Hamlin, who doesn't have any wins yet this season, is leading the point standings. Now, if it turns out that there are 16 drivers who win, and one of them is not the regular season point standings winner. So that is the person who has the most points at the end of the Daytona. Uh, is that a Labor Day race? I don't. I think it's the the week before Labor Day. But the Daytona summer race is the cutoff race. So if a driver by that point does not have any wins, but has the most points, that driver is still entered into the playoffs. So it's an interesting tidbit. I don't imagine that being an issue moving forward. I'm going to be very surprised if Denny Hamlin does not win a race moving forward. But I do want to look at some of these drivers who are currently outside of the top 16 and ask the question, who do we think might be a winner this season who might win their way into the playoffs? Initially, as the season started, you maybe would have said that someone like Michael McDowell would be... One of those guys, Michael McDowell, who won the Daytona 500. Maybe he's going to be a guy who by points would end up below 16th, but will have raced his way in with the win. As it stands right now, Michael McDowell is in 12th. Michael McDowell, if you take the point or take the wins away, Michael McDowell is tied for 12th place with Kyle Busch. So I believe that's right. 12th or 13th. In either case, Michael McDowell might not be that guy. Michael McDowell may have, may end up racing his way in just based on points if wins weren't a factor. With the guys who are below the cut line right now, it's really difficult for me to point to one of these guys and say, that guy's going to win a race this year with absolute certainty. We've seen some guys who have had some pretty good finishes so far who may be in line to win races. Guys like Chris Busher, who's in 17th, or Daniel Suarez, who's had a couple good weeks uh, in 20th. Or you may have a wild card. Cole Custer is in 23rd right now. He was a guy who won a race last year and wouldn't have made the playoffs except for that win, and he won last year as a rookie. We only have two rookies this year, and I'm hard-pressed to think that one of them being Anthony Alfredo. I'm hard-pressed to to think that Anthony Alfredo is going to win a race. Chase Briscoe is the other rookie this year or at least other rookie of note, but we've noted he runs for Stuart Haas Racing and they're having issues with their speed. But he does have some pedigree, at least in terms of winning a ton of races last year in the Xfinity series. So I don't know that you can necessarily count him out in terms of possibly winning, but it's also hard to say. I think this is a thing Jeff Burton has said, a former driver it's not typical for a guy who's running poorly week to week to just suddenly win a race unless something drastically good or bad happens for that driver or drastically good for the driver, drastically bad for everybody else. Something like Justin Haley, who we mentioned earlier in the show who won on a rain delay or a rain out at Daytona a couple years ago in the July race. So it's, you, you don't ever want to say that never is never, or whatever the saying is, it is definitely possible that one of these drivers could win. At this point, it's hard to point to any one of them, though, and say that person is for sure going to win. So moving forward, even though I am pushing for, hoping for 16 or more drivers to win this season, it's very unlikely to imagine that it's actually going to happen. Now, next week we have a bye week. It is uh, off for Easter. So NASCAR is not going to be running a race next week, but when we do come back next week to talk about the upcoming Martinsville race, which is the next race a week and a half from now as we are recording on Wednesday, the 31st, I do want to take a look at the uh, Martinsville statistics from past years and look at who might be the next person in line to come out with a win if we are looking for another driver who has not yet won to win a race. So we'll take a look at that when next week's show rolls around. Speaking of not, uh, not coming back next season, or next season, oh my goodness, not coming back next week to run a race, I am going to take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to talk about some news and notes of things that have happened this past week since we won't be previewing the race at Martinsville. So when we come back, we'll take a look at some news of different things that I found interesting that happened this past week in the world of NASCAR here on Lapping the Field. Hey everyone, this is the point in most podcasts where you would maybe expect to hear an ad read, a Patreon plug, or something of that nature. While that may be something that ends up being integrated into this podcast in the future, I'm more concerned at the moment with getting this podcast up and running. So, no ads, no Patreon, but if you do want to find out more about this podcast or any other project I'm involved in, head over to ericbeckmedia.com. That's ericbeckmedia, all one word, dot com. Now back to the show. All right, and we are back here on Lapping the Field. I am still your host, Eric Beck, if you have uh, somehow found your way into the middle of this show and did not, uh, did not know my name. This part is not going to get cut, but I probably am going to wish that I did cut it out of the episode. (laughs) Anyways, we've been moving at a breakneck pace here, trying to discuss some of these things that happened with relation to Bristol this past week. And one of the things that happened that we have sort of touched on, but have not gone into full depth with yet, is the weather situation that happened. One piece of information that came out this past week, actually came out after the race happened, is from Marcus Smith, who we mentioned earlier, is a CEO of, uh, of a track ownership. He's a track promoter. He's, he's a guy who basically helped to get this dirt race rolling at Bristol. He had a couple of other things. He, I guess, was the instigator behind creating the Roval at the Charlotte Speedway. He is apparently the guy who's trying to help NASCAR get back to the Nashville Fairgrounds, which is another short track, and that may be happening soon. But one thing that he said on the Dale Jr. Download, which is Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s podcast, for those of you who are not aware, he said, uh, I believe it came out yesterday, which is Tuesday as I'm recording, yesterday. He said that in the next five years, he hopes to have a roof on Bristol. He hopes to have a roof over the Bristol racetrack and stands, I would assume. Part of the reason for this is because typically this Bristol weekend is one where weather is involved consistently. We saw it this past weekend with that creek flooding with uh, mud pits instead of a racetrack. And we've seen it in the past with rain at Bristol, we've seen it at the past with snow at Bristol in the past, not at the past. We've seen it with snow at Bristol, with Kurt Busch having the uh, short-lived celebration of doing snow angels after winning a race because he won after it snowed at Bristol. I feel like that celebration happened a few times after that. Not that it really matters. These are just the things I remember. (laughs) But putting a roof on Bristol is a very interesting concept to me. Now, when I was a kid, like in elementary school, I used to draw race tracks and I came up with my own way of a way you could put a roof over a track while also like getting the sound to get out of there so it wouldn't be super loud since you would be running inside. And it was done before I had really a concept of if this was feasible or not. And I think there are a lot of people, including myself, who probably don't think this is terribly feasible. Now, as Marcus Smith was talking about this, it sounds like it's not going to be your typical understanding of like a roof at a stadium or it's going to be like covered with this massive structure that goes over the track. It sounds like more of an idea of having something that you would attempt to sort of suspend over the track like uh, definitely on like a much thinner level, almost almost like and he used the, the metaphor of an umbrella, trying to have an umbrella over the track to deal with these weather issues. It is more possible at Bristol than other places because of the size of Bristol. Bristol is one of the shortest tracks that NASCAR runs on every year. And so there is less surface area to cover as it were. The other reason that Marcus Smith thinks this is possible is because Bristol has, at the moment, a suspended TV, basically, a suspended view screen over the middle of Bristol, sort of the grounds, as it were. It's hanging over the the smaller infield, but hanging over the infield and is connected with these giant steel wires from different points in the grandstands or above the grandstands. So from an engineering standpoint, I have no idea if this is possible. It's certainly off the wall, and it's something that Marcus Smith or his dad, Bruton Smith, who is also a former CEO and track promoter and all these different types of things. It is one of these things that it would come out of that family, one of these ideas. If it's possible, it is certainly going to be a talking point. I have no idea whether it will be possible or not it is interesting to think about though with the number of times that weather affects nascar races and this is where i want to get into my rant about weather which i have no plans for so we will see where it goes i am consistently frustrated with weather affecting nascar races now i i say this with understanding that you cannot control the weather however You do have at least some general idea of whether it is likely for weather to be a factor on different weekends, depending on when you run in the year, like we know is possible for this Bristol race in which came up over and over. This is an issue that they've seen in the past trying to run a race in the spring in this river valley, basically in Tennessee. So if you know that that's a problem, that is one question for why you're scheduling these races when you do just in terms of throughout the year. And one, diff- one interesting thing that came up, since the ownership group that owns Bristol also owns the Sonoma road course, could you run at Sonoma during this weekend, this past weekend that we saw, and maybe flip the Sonoma and Bristol dates? Now, apparently Sonoma also gets rain this time of year, and that's apparently why it is so green. This is also a thing uh, Smith talked about. But at road courses, NASCAR cars now are able to run on rain tires. Again you're bringing in treaded tires like you would see on a normal streetcar and you're able to race in the rain which you can't do with a car or with tires that don't have treads because then you're just sliding throughout all of the water. So that's an interesting possibility. My other weather concern is the number of races that we start in late afternoon and it's a It's concerning to me because there are so many times or there have been so many times in recent memory where if NASCAR had run a race two hours earlier, they would have been able to get the race in just fine before weather was an issue. You either see races that are hampered right at the start of the race, like we saw at Daytona this past uh, uh, seven weeks ago or however long now, where they got 14 laps into a race before they had to stop or you ha- you see it happen maybe later in the race but before they're able to call the race official because races are not official until you get past halfway. So one of my one of my issues is with how late we're starting these races. Now some of this is you have races that happen on the west coast, so it doesn't make sense from a starting time standpoint to start at what would maybe be 9 or 10 in the morning in order to accommodate a 12 or 1 o'clock Eastern time start. That I understand. On the flip side, when you have the ability to start at 12 or 1 Eastern, uh, when you're on the East Coast, but that would affect viewing starting at 9 or 10 in the morning on the West Coast, that I have less of a concern about, especially since you see this happen in other sports. There's a reason that the NFL has a 1 p.m. Eastern start time and a 4.30 p.m. Eastern start time. And that typically those later times are times that are for West Coast teams. Typically, not always, but typically. You're still seeing events happen at that time, which is early morning on the West Coast, even though the event is happening on the East Coast and you're concerned about viewership across the country. So that is one issue for me. The other thing is that I understand that there are some races that are just night races. Like that's just the way they work. Bristol in the summer is a night race. The Coke 600 or whatever you, whatever name it has 600 at Charlotte Memorial Day weekend is a night race. The Richmond. Richmond has night races. I get that that's a thing. But for races that aren't night races specifically, I feel like you can maybe be starting some of these races earlier, giving yourself a little bit more of a window to try and get the race in that day instead of having to delay. This is not always going to be possible. I understand that. We saw this at Texas, I think, last year, where a race got pushed a day and then another day. It got pushed to, like, Tuesday, and they weren't racing until Tuesday. There was—obviously, with this race this past weekend, they weren't going to be able to run on Sunday— whether the track was dirt or concrete with how late it was raining on Sunday. You were going to have to run the race on Monday no matter what. I just feel like you can maybe bring the percentage of races that are affected by weather down a little bit if you adjust your start times and if you adjust when in the the season you are racing in different parts of the country, depending on weather trends over the years. So that I think is the end of my weather rant. Weather I'm sure will come up again in the future, since these races have to happen outside. It is understandable that it's going to happen. I just wish it wasn't as much of an issue as it continues to be. So moving on, we're going to touch on one final thing before we sign off here, and that is NASCAR's iRacing, the uh, the online racing that happens. And a new event that is being added to iRacing and the implications that this potentially could have for NASCAR in IRL in the real world moving forward. This past week, NASCAR had an iRacing Pro-Am event that was televised on Wednesday, so a week ago today as I'm recording. I think when you have iRacing that is pro-am, a lot of the NASCAR drivers who run in the real cars are the amateurs on the iRacing, and then you have actual professional iRacing racers who are in these races. This this was a big thing last year when COVID hit and there was the staying at home, excuse me, staying at home stuff during the two months between phoenix or between calling off racing in atlanta and then coming back in darlington in may drivers were competing in iRacing racing events on sundays that were televised on fox this is actually part of the reason why clint boyer ended up in the booth Side note, the thing I have in these notes here, I really like Clint Boyer in the booth. I think having a third person in there is a great move. Having someone with Clint Boyer's energy in there with Mike Joy and Jeff Gordon is a great move because it just wasn't working as well for me with just Mike Joy and Jeff Gordon after Daryl Waltrip retired. That is my personal opinion. I have very strong opinions about broadcasters and announcers and sports. Maybe we'll talk about it more at another time. But during the iRacing event this past week, it was announced that there is going to be an iRacing event which will be virtually racing on the streets of Chicago. There will be a street course race in iRacing with a part of Chicago's uh, roadways that were scanned by iRacing into the game in order to have a map of this track. Track, track in quotation marks. Many quotation marks for track. Because it would be, if it were real, it would be uh, modular. Is modular the right word? It wouldn't be there all the time like every other racetrack. So the question is how might this affect NASCAR in the future? Would it be possible to have a race on a street course? This is a thing you see in IndyCar. This is a thing you see in other open wheel forms of racing, our Grand Prix basically that race on street courses. Now, in in Chicago, I have no idea. This event, the, the track that was scanned, again, track in quotation marks, the track that was scanned is in and around Grant Park, which is on the, in my mind, is on the south side of downtown Chicago. I don't know if you're actually from Chicago, how you would describe it. But it's a park that there's going to be racing that happens on Michigan Avenue, which is one of the most well-known streets in Chicago. There's going to be racing happening on Lakeshore Drive, which is another uh, road in Chicago that is very well-known. And then driving throughout the rest of Grant Park. Basically, this is right just north of Soldier Field, if you're familiar with where that is, right on the shoreline of Lake Michigan. I personally, in terms of thinking about whether this happens in the real world or not, I think if you had to press me to guess, I think with just having had a dirt race for the first time in 50 years, it's entirely possible that NASCAR at some point in the future does a street track. I would be very interested in it happening, at least for the spectacle for one time. But I would also be interested in the possibility of having a series of of stock car racing that does things like that. I've found it curious for a little while now that there aren't different series other than what what is current right now doing different types of racing in stock cars. Now, maybe it is a thing and it just isn't super well promoted, so I'm not aware of it. But typically when you're seeing stock car racing, it's happening on oval tracks or oval-esque tracks. You don't see a lot of stock car racing on road courses, except for this year with seven road courses in the NASCAR Cup schedule. And you don't see these street tracks happening really at all, as far as I know, at least in a a verified, certified, series-type competition. So I think it would be fascinating to have a touring series of stock car racing that maybe is NASCAR affiliated, running on street courses like this. I think it would be super interesting. An interesting uh, note here for me personally is that my first, some of my first introductions to uh, car racing, vehicle racing, race cars, if you, however however you want to describe it, some of my first introduction to this type of racing. Oh my goodness. Some of my introductions to motorsports in general happened on street courses. So back in the mid-90s, I live in Minneapolis. I was in the Twin Cities suburbs at the time. There were two different sports car Grand Prix's that happened in Minneapolis on a street course. And I remember going to at least one of them. And I would have been, it was 96 and 98. So I was either like four or six when these happened, With depending on when they happened in the summer. And again, I have the vaguest memories of these things happening. So that part at least is interesting to me to have those memories of a thing like that actually happening in my city and the potential for that moving forward. My other experience is virtual on a video game for a PC way back in the day in the late 90s, early 2000s. But I had some sort of a NASCAR racing game where there were different road courses that you would drive on. And I don't, I don't know if any of the road courses were actually real or not, but I remember the game at least, and I remember the experience of road course racing in a NASCAR car, at least on the computer. So I am curious if some of my, at least a little bit of my road course infatuation, if you will, comes from those different experiences. I am excited moving forward that there are NASCAR more NASCAR races on road courses this season. I think it provides a different, interesting sort of uh, sort of challenge, a different thing than we typically see in NASCAR. With the complaint from non NASCAR fans being that drivers or NASCAR vehicles just go in left turns and keep turning left and whatever. I think it's a different, an interesting, different type of racing so those are my opinions i to reiterate would be interested in seeing a different type of touring series that is just as well promoted as nascar is right now uh, doing different things like that so whether it happens or not in the future we'll just have to wait and see but i would be very interested in seeing it happen we'll see how many times i can repeat myself as we come to the end of this episode So thank you, everyone, for sticking around. Coming up on next week's episode, we will be previewing the Martinsville race as it will be happening two Sundays from now as we are recording. We'll talk about some other things moving forward, which we will decide along the way as time moves on. As it was, as it is, this has been Lapping the Field, and I am Eric Beck. Thank you for listening on the podcast players that you have, and thank you for watching for those of you who are watching on YouTube.